0: I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Rick Kelly. And we love to watch. We love to watch things about you when it's having difficulty going to the bathroom. Some. lines. Oh,
1: a lot of these movies.
0: Are become... you saying are you saying you didn't stick the line reading I, I think about you when I go to the bathroom when she says two or three times didn't stick with you in a really uncomfortable way? <laughs> it's, it's it's in my notes twice. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Paul Thoreau's book, presumably at least twice. <laughs> I hate this to is that an that important part, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's also like It's meant to be sexy. Is it? I I mean I think Like the character thinks it's
0: sex in the fumbling in the fumbling way that adolescents and young teens find yeah. So she she means
2: like in the bathroom though, like when she goes into the room. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Where she's presumably jerking off. Got it. Not like (laughs) that's the expression. But it's just more direct and cuts out a lot of confusion if you're just like, I think about you when I jerk
2: off. When I'm alone would be good. When I'm alone. It wouldn't yeah. confuse yeah. like I think about you when I evacuate. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i because it, it does but she has been you know like following like, like, him and me. she's trolling him and then she's like but you are cute and so like it's really hard to tell if she's she's thinking like hey you you motivate my bowels or like you <laughs> motivate other parts of me
1: well you know sometimes like when you're in a uh like a, a humid environment it's very easy to get constipated so mm. maybe uh, her plan for going poop is kind of like Similar to uh, the novel Peter Pan by J.M. Barry, where to fly, you need to think of a happy thought. And in this scenario, in order to poop, because you're so constipated, you need to think of a poop thought. And Mm -hmm. in that case, that is River Phoenix.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Checks out.
1: Checks out. Um, it's so all there in the original this? text if you read it, but where we love to watch for a movie podcast, not a book podcast or a poop thought podcast. Uh, and we uh, we do movies over the course of a month around a theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. This is our f- uh, the last week of our first ever sponsored month by Sean, who was the guest last week for Wild called Gotta Get Away From It All. And we're doing 1986 is the Mosquito Coast. Peter Weir's second American movie, uh, starring his uh, same star from the first, his first American movie, uh, Harrison Ford, uh, hot off their their hit Witness. Actually, they missed the Academy Awards where Witness was nominated for eight awards, won a couple. They missed the Academy Awards famously because they were running along uh, in Nicaragua shooting. The mosquito, or sorry, Belize. They shot the Belize. Belize, um, uh, Shooting the mosquito uh, coast. And it's a movie that, you know, is getting a little bit more awareness now or leaked the property as a whole because there's an Apple Plus TV show that I have heard is not good. It does star Justin Thoreau, who is the son of the person who wrote the the novel, Paul Thoreau. Nephew. Uh, Oh, sorry, nephew. Mm hmm. For some reason, I thought it was Sun.
2: I assume Peter told me it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just read something before we got on, so I feel confident. Unless I was also okay. lied to. Uh,
1: no, I I, uh, I I believe you. Uh, and so, uh, but this is a movie that I feel like is almost be- before that, like resurrection. Recently, feels like a movie that ah uh, was totally forgotten by most people. Uh, it's kind of a, it was it was a, a little bit of a misfire. Um, From the box office perspective, it's one of the only Harrison Ford movies, definitely the only Harrison uh, Ford movie of the 80s that didn't make money at the box office, actually lost uh, money. It's a movie that he still defends and Peter Weir still defends is something that the critics didn't quite get. And I weirdly saw it when I was um, like nine or ten years old because – uh, it was rated PG, and uh, my parents, like, just picked it up as part of, like, you know, five for five VHSs, and because it was rated PG, even though nothing about it looked um, looked all that interesting to me, I wanted to see it because it was a movie I could see, and I ended up really liking it quite a bit, and I have a lot of, like, specific memories from watching it with my mom and my dad um, that I'll probably share a little bit tonight. I actually think, like... You know, there's a little bit of connection in just that I there's a lot of things that uh, the character in this movie does that doesn't remind me of my dad. Having an indeterminate number of
0: children. Uh, yes. Um, definitely having Quick, a lot every, of Everyone say how many kids he has. Don't think. Four. Four. Okay.
2: The twins. One,
1: one's a double. And as we all know, triples is best. Yeah. Um but uh it's a, I think you should leave reference that clearly fell <laughs> fell apart <laughs> um both of you guys had not seen this movie before correct
0: correct no i i never seen it I, I, in fact it uh because it was it received mixed reviews and it had uh it was a box office bomb um it's uh is a movie that i hadn't really heard of outside of you um <laughs> you telling me that I should check it out ASAP and then I didn't and then uh, we did it for the show.
2: I remember seeing it I remember the cover really distinctly from uh, VHS days. I never saw it but I remember seeing it in the store and I thought it was Matthew Modine I just didn't know this was a Harrison Ford movie <laughs> until like recently
1: Yeah I mean it also looks like as I say, I sent you a picture that I put a little a little I spliced the two hands next to each other uh, it always reminded me it looked like David Koresh um,
0: Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: around Mm -hmm. the time that I saw this movie, like, David Crush's face was in the news. My parents watched the news every night. So I knew what was going on with, like, Waco and the Branch Davidian. So really, like, that image really stuck with me on that VHS because it just reminded me of so much of, like, this other lunatic
0: who got (laughs) away from it all. Um, And though obviously unintentional, um, the author of the book, Paul Thoreau, um... He Noted he uncle sta- to Justin. <laughs> Noted, yeah, avuncular figure right. in uh, Justin Thoreau's life. Uh, he uh, said he based pieces of the character on Jim Jones, which is something yeah. we should definitely look at later. But uh, so the the cult leader comparison, um, even though it's not he doesn't visually look like Jim Jones at all, uh, is is pretty like, you know, apt in a sort of weird serendipitous way.
1: It is funny, like, why it's, I think, a little bit of, a, like, a forgotten part of his uh, filmography. Like, you look at, like, you know, Harrison Ford's 80s. This is his run up until Mosquito Coast. So, it's, he kicks off the 80s with The Empire Strikes Back, then does Raiders of the Lost Ark, Blade Runner, Return of the Jedi, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune, Witness, and then the Mosquito Coast. <laughs> like... I don't know if you get a higher high. And there's also... I skipped his cameo in E.T., which is um, minor. But, like, that's a pretty good first half of the decade. And then, you know, he kind of has a uh, interest in pursuing um, other projects. Maybe we should start there a little bit. So, yeah, the reason that this movie even stars Harrison Ford... Because it, it's supposed to star Jack Nicholson. And, unfortunately... The uh, Peter Weir, it was supposed to be his first uh, American uh, movie that he was going to, uh, or uh, yeah, United States uh, movie that he was going to make after uh, some hits, including one that we talked about in the show, the Last Wave that he made in his native Australia. Um, and Man, he, Last
0: Wave is a is a weird companion piece to this movie for sure. It is. Uh, I mean,
1: Peter Weir is someone who I think there's uh, two movies of of his that I've not seen, two or three, but from my perspective, he has a 100% track record of everything that I have seen. Um, He is just a really, I think, underrated director as a whole, but this – he – uh, a producer friend of his bought the rights to this book. It was going to be his first American movie. It was going to start Jack Nicholson. Uh, that fell through some of the financing. And in the middle, he ends up making Did you making... hear about why? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I did. Uh, Sorry. You this, get, Zen, this, Zens guy, this Zens guy uh, thought he did uh, Jack Nicholson a solid by putting him in one Flew over the cuckoo's nest um and that jack nicholson owed him so he uh lowballed jack nicholson their egos got involved and then jack nicholson it was like fuck this like i'm <laughs> yeah. definitely not going out in the jungle and shooting a fucking uh i don't even know at that point if they had guaranteed they had guaranteed to shoot on on location but i'm definitely not going out in the fucking jungle to shoot with this asshole uh and he left and then by the time they hired Harrison Ford Harrison Ford's it was paid what Jack Nicholson asked for.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they they the financing fell through once Nicholson left, because you have yeah. a <clears throat> unproven director. And so he goes off to make Witness, and while they're working on Witness, he's like, he kind of got Harrison Ford interested in the idea of him finally getting a chance to play a not Harrison Ford character. Um, and Harrison Ford's agent told him, don't you dare fucking make this movie. Uh, and he said... I'm going to make this movie, and then I'm going to fly a plane into a mountain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: um, <laughs> Which, you know, uh, dream big, because he has flown multiple planes into yeah. multiple mountains. <laughs> Actually, I didn't I don't say just the one time. The
1: At least once, possibly.
0: <laughs> if <laughs> I he like had it. Le- he left the guy's office, and then he came back probably more than once. Uh, I really like flying planes. I really like crashing them into mountains. We'll see what happens. I'm not learning how to
2: fucking land the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's how much truth there is to it, but I also read that uh, Jack Nicholson balked that he couldn't, he wouldn't be able to watch uh, Lakers games from. Uh,
0: yeah, I read that too. Yeah, that, you know, I, once- I I I couldn't tell from the original article if that was just Jack Nicholson clowning around. Oh yeah. uh, because it's more, it's funnier to say. That that's the reason you didn't do a movie? Then like I disagreed with an asshole producer. Like like it's also like a way of not airing your dirty laundry is to make a joke. Yeah, fair point.
1: I mean I the Lakers tell. were good in 1986. That's a bad year to miss, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I just I maybe I just I refuse to believe that there's a human being who would be like I have a dream project. I get to go live in the the jungle and shoot this crazy this crazy movie. Um, but I'd miss some basketball games so so one of the yeah and one of the kind of uh i saw this a few times in
1: both contemporary reviews and then also uh a few times on letterboxd too that i don't know if people that like knew about that casting um thought that they i think they were expecting more of a shining type movie a movie where like the father goes increasingly mad and violent and um you know instead, I think you just have a more mundane nuanced version of just kind of a selfish American asshole uh who uh, hates america slash loves America and tries to make all the worst parts of America over again um <laughs> with himself I think, that's, I think there's leader. a prop
0: yeah, and I think i I think that inherently Harrison Ford is more seductive than Jack Nicholson would be because mm-hmm. like Jack Nicholson is someone who like you know, um, I could see myself partying with or whatever, but I couldn't see, um, myself being like, I will follow your dream. (laughs) I I trust you wholly. But Harrison Ford has this sort of natural, like, uh, leader quality to him. He has this wild look in his eye. Um, but I think that there's actually a problem in, in interpreting this movie. I think there's a problem with, uh, how the culture has changed that I really want to highlight early on, which is that like, I could see me in the 80s. Same person, blah, blah, blah. Um, I could see me being seduced by Ali Fox uh, as a character, um, even if I disagreed with his racist bullshit. Um, <clears throat> because when you're watching a movie like this, like, sometimes you're supposed to give the characters the benefit of the doubt because, you know, they just, they don't use modern sensitive language and like, you know, whatever. But like, the in the present day it's very easy when you're watching this movie to within 30 seconds recognize it for what it is which is it's it's essentially an anti-hero story it's a story of a <clears throat> pardon me it's it's an anti-hero story it's a story of a of a crazed man who's willing to throw everyone under the bus for his dream or his ego or just pure greed and like we recognize this character because like there was a 10-year period where maybe i mean Longer, I guess. Um, there was at least a ten-year period where every single TV show was about a uh, somewhat sympathetic antihero who ends up destroying his family. Like we live in the post Breaking Bad, um, post Sopranos era, um, and there's a lot of like I recognize this character as Walter White, where you're like actual genius, actual very smart, clever guy with an understanding of systems, but his ego and his his his. Uh, his sense of uh, righteous indignation um, and sometimes non-righteous indignation is his his uh, hubristic downfall. Like, we're inundated with stories like that. I mean, even going back yeah. to There Will Be Blood uh, from the past 20 years. Um, so, like, I feel like it's easy for us to just immediately recognize, like, oh, we're not supposed to identify with Ali Fox. And then we operate at a distance from him as opposed to what I think the intention at the time, particularly in the novel, was... Um, you're supposed to get seduced by Ellie Fox, and then and then start to realize he's full of shit, just like everyone else in his life does. Well, so what's so interesting about that is that that
1: is the memory I have from watching the movie, and I may I may just place this here now because, you know, I recognize a lot of that rewatching it, and I really like. Um, I know uh, we may have some mixed opinions on this this show about this movie, but I really loved it, and it just it it really hit some extremely like specific stuff for me because i do remember watching this with my parents i have a very vivid memory of watching it um the you know so it's like 1993 and you're right the opening of the movie is him just kind of going on this screed that didn't feel uncommon though for like a general sentiment that i was exposed to at that age this idea that like uh, Americans were getting lazy. No one wanted to work. Welfare was bad. Like this, you know, the year Simultaneously I Simultaneously
0: blaming the Japanese and the common American.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, this was the year that, like, you know, I, I was very aware of, like, you know, Bill Clinton uh, becoming president and all the fights over welfare and stuff like that that was occurring. So, and, you know, I'm a dumb 10-year-old, so I obviously, like, go, yeah, it is weird that people... uh are getting paid to not work. Like, you know, like those kind of like soundbite arguments that Ali Fox and like, for that matter, the modern conservative movement is built on, uh, is, is, it, it tends to sometimes resonate with, with a, with a nine or a 10 year old who doesn't have, uh, hopefully, a more uh, ethical figure in their life who's like, well, here's why that's bullshit because it sounds on paper on the surface level to make sense. So I remember my, my dad kind of really being into it and then, Um, you know, he gets down there and essentially starts building what feels like a Swiss family Robinson type situation. Um, and I, I do remember like recognition of like, yeah, it would be great to get away. And, you know, cause my, also my dad, you know, lived in the Marshall islands. Um, you know, my, uh, and other places around the world. My parents met in the Peace Corps. He, like, lived on an island and helped get, you know. So he, like, he kind of saw this idea of, like, yeah, America does suck because he was generally disillusioned by the country and politics and a lot of other things that led to a bunch of conservative religious stuff later on in his life. And then he sees this as, like, this, um, you know, this, like, I don't, I don't, I'm 100% sure he never read the book, so I don't think he knew where it was necessarily going as a movie. But then by the time it kind of goes to those darker places, uh, it was just so interesting because my parents latched on to one very specific – like that that thing where you're kind of on his side. I was on his side. I think my parents were 100% on his side. And then you're right. Like at some point he becomes an indefensible asshole and it's impossible I think to not see that he is uh, just kind of a prideful lunatic obsessed with his own success and will destroy everything to get there. My parents put the the hubris and and think the metaphor of this movie. By the way, uh, I remember very clearly was uh, the rejection of religion, like uh, that you know, Ali Fox thinks he's smarter than God.
2: Oh, so his his death is a vindication of the missionary.
1: Yeah, like that 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 idea of like I mean that's. Uh, the,
0: uh yeah, that you know he a... God made his aim true,
1: wow, yeah, that like all that other stuff is like he it's not like he was misguided, but he he just couldn't admit that there was someone who gave him all his gifts and stuff like that, and like you know, seven deadly sin, pride being the worst attitude of like pride being his downfall and his refusal to be humble and you know in front of the Lord and recognize that that yeah, like so that's where they saw his downfall at, and I just remember very clearly being like, yeah, there's I just like. Uh, you know i i from a young age was was had some very skepticism towards my parents like religious turn around the same time and i i just remember seeing a lot of like yeah i just really see my dad in this character by the end of it like everything going wrong <laughs> him overreacting to punishments saying stuff like um you know even when it's so clearly that this is not his ideal situation that no matter what happens it's fine this is actually perfect <laughs> like that stuff just was so familiar uh, that to see my parents, like, kind of uh, use this scapegoat of like, oh, yep, he wasn't humble in front of God. That's why I did this <laughs> as opposed to just general pride and refusal to admit uh, when you're wrong or have been bested or incorrect to the point of, like, self-destruction. That's kind of what myself as a 10-year-old took away from it. So that's why, like, this movie has kind of stayed with me so much, even though I haven't seen it in, like, twenty eight years you know this is the the exact type of movie that you're like oh yeah i guess i have seen this i remember so many specific scenes because i was just kind of transfixed mm-hmm. uh but i i feel like that way about uh not just the, the the you know people like my own dad but like a lot of people in this country like those those people that were uh you know the 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 republicans and the conservative movement and the religious right or whatever you want to call it in the 90s who are using all these like you know Dog whistles and things about uh, America sucks and we're lazy and we're getting bested by other cultures who also suck because they're communist and fat, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that has those were also warning signs for where we're at today.
0: Yeah. And it's very funny watching this movie as um, an atheist, because like at times you are like you are you are in conflict between an asshole and an asshole. Right. Like. Uh, andre Gregory's character is not sub- I mean it's very obvious to us we don't really need to t- t- dig on it too much but like andre gregory's uh uh placement in this movie is clearly evidently not um one of um deification and he's no. n- this is not a good versus evil battle between the two of them it's actually the story of two colonizers
1: yeah and my parents didn't see that because they recognized themselves in at first one colonizer and then the other <laughs>
0: <laughs> they they were uh, they were like well, I mean yeah
1: my parents were rightful colonizer trips.
0: because yeah. God made the planet so you can go down there and do whatever you need to do these people
1: uh, don't believe in God and thus they won't get to heaven and then you so you can, can do whatever you, you can kill them you destroy their culture put them into poverty no that stuff matters what matters Peter is are they going to get to heaven
0: yeah. Um, because this is a hellish world. Um, this is a this is a, a you know a place of sin and degradation, and this is a, this is only a place to be tested. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and and therefore, um, it doesn't really matter if the missionary uses a heavy hand to get the job done. Um, despite how much culture, um, he destroys and the fact that he doesn't have a very good argument except for, uh, while well, I'm here and you have to listen to me. <laughs> I was told to come here. <laughs> I also live in Baltimore. The 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 handing of the blue jean bible um yeah. to uh to, to uh Ally Fox early on in the movie. I'm just picturing your parents being like, "I think it's neat." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think um I think what happened was at first it was kind of one of those like, "Oh, we really like this guy, but we wish you know, hopefully he finds religion." And then when he didn't, it's like, "Well, That'll teach you.
0: It is. It is remarkably. It is. I mean, that's another. That's another piece of information um, that I, I'm thinking of now. Is it's not just that we've gotten used to the anti-hero stories, we've gotten used to Harrison Ford subverting his character as this like uh, rad hero. And he's since Mosquito Coast, he's played assholes and villains and like there's a reason why his the timing of his performance one what lies beneath works so well and that's yeah he had just done a bunch of movies where you know maybe he was conflicted or whatever but a bunch of movies where he's ultimately the good guy um so there's a there's like a there's an extra like meta textual or extra textual piece there which is like we had gotten so used to harrison ford being our you know maybe he's a Maybe he uses some unconventional methods, but, you know, he's always on our side. He's
1: always, th- Well, he's always there for his friends and for his family, right? Like that – you look at the movies that come before that, like whether it's Witness with him like initially just going going there to hide and eventually um, – or protect someone who's hiding and eventually like, you know, embraces the, the family. Same thing with like – he's a little roguish and cocksure in Star yeah. Wars, but eventually, you know, he becomes – He's he's too he's too reliable in his int- in his, you know, intrinsic nature to just disappear forever. And I agree with you, like this was a subversion that feels less so now, not just from movies, and I don't mean this as a joke, but from like his entire public persona over the last fifteen yes. years, which is He kind of is like
2: way. Grouchy Recluse, actually, is part of his thing. So yeah.
1: Yeah, like kind of a little bit misanthropic and <laughs> Doesn't need any of this shit, and like you know, he goes on like, you know, he, when he's on a talk show, uh, he acts like like uh, people came into his home and accosted him with a with a microphone. It's like, no, this isn't your couch, Harrison. You're on a show <laughs> to talk to me. He's like, fuck and, you, and like,
0: how dare and, you? And, you and, asking like, about he...
1: my earring again? <laughs>
0: I will not talk about the plane crashes. <laughs> I'm um, crash this interview's to over. The studio. <laughs> I I I have a really specific memory of Harrison Ford um, from the past. I don't know, decade or two. Um, and it's you're, that you're uh, going to say the he, Nerdist
1: interview, aren't you?
0: Yes. Oh my god, it's like my favorite thing because I hate, hated Chris Hardwick for so long, and I now hate him for I think better reasons. And um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, oh, Harrison Ford interviewed or uh, Chris Hardwick interviewed Harrison Ford, like. I hate this this fucking podcast. It's just, like, boot-looking bullshit for celebrities. But, like, I would love to see Harrison Ford be mean to Chris Hardwick. And it begins with Chris Hardwick spending full minutes basically saying, like, well, the interview didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. Because, <laughs> um, like, he's like, I wanted to meet Han Solo. And Harrison Ford's like, who is this, like, annoying nerd in my hotel room late at night who, like, my manager and the Disney execs made me talk to? Like, leave me the fuck alone. And it's a short interview. He's very mean to Chris Hardwick. <laughs> and it's fucking, when it's over, it's just like, <laughs> just like, <laughs> why did you even release this? <laughs> <laughs> so mean to you. Uh so that's my favorite Harrison Ford memory personally. But like uh n- not to jump back too much to his his image, but like he even after this movie did a bunch of movies where like he did the two Tom Clancy novels where he's like a good guy. Um I be mean, good as in quotes, I guess, you know. I never saw frantic Geo- Geopolitics and such. Mm-hmm. Um but like he- And
1: Presumed Innocent, I'm assuming he's the guy that's presumed innocent.
2: Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah, I, uh, frantic complicates it a little, and I actually think Blade Runner complicates it quite a bit. But um, well, no one saw that, so it didn't no affect one saw it at the, the time, image. so it doesn't it yeah. doesn't really count. You're right about that. But uh, yeah, you know the thing. So in our chats, you know, I think I was saying uh, it might be expected to come down pretty negatively on this, and it's actually grown on me. Like I've thought about it a lot in the days since, and part of the mystery for me is why I find this movie so much more interesting to think about than to watch. So maybe you guys can help me crack that case while we're talking. Because the thing is, I I find it almost impossible to – not to believe because I believe it. But I, just to conceive of coming into this movie and thinking that you're going to be on Harrison Ford's side. Like he just comes out and like you know these people who just like – just berate you with – you know, he berates yeah. strangers. The guy at the store, he doesn't stop talking. And my first thought was like, holy shit, do we have to watch this for two hours? Like, I don't know if I can stand two hours with this guy. So the notion that would be like, now this guy's speaking my
0: language is just strange to me. Uh, can we pause really quickly? The guy at the store... <laughs> he's getting Get upset! Alexander. George George's stanza. And, yeah. and it's so fucking great because he's kind of let, like... Despite what I said earlier that you know Harrison Ford was kind of weaponizing his image, um, Peter Weir obviously was weaponizing his image, and also the fact that like these sentiments were I think more common at the time, and this sort of I... casual racism against the Japanese was more common at the time. Um, that like uh, you could be, it was probably easier then to be seduced by Ali Fox's character. I do love that immediately Peter Weir is like, we're going to introduce you to to a couple people that absolutely loathe him <laughs> <Yeah>. um, because <laughs> the farmer as well as Jason Alexander have really great arguments for why you should never fucking listen to Allie Fox. Um, (laughs) Jason Alexander comes in. He's just, just fucking shaking his head. He's just like, Oh no, like all (laughs) this isn't a normal customer. This is a guy that comes in and harasses me all the time. But like, it's not to the point where my manager says I can kick him out the moment he comes in the door. Um, And then the farmer who uh, is just like, you told me, that you could build a refrigeration system for my barn so my asparagus doesn't rot. My asparagus is rotting, but you haven't fucking built that.
1: This is, a, this is just to s- a scale model. Yeah. Like, give me two years. Like, what? All my
2: asparagus
1: <laughs> I'm an asparagus farmer. Like, what I grow and need refrigerated is in the title of my job
0: yeah it's i I just love i just love that early on in the movie we get to meet two characters that very clearly set what the the uh, they sort of for forecast what the movie where the movie is going but if you are someone at the time like aaron's parents and i presume a lot of people uh well not a lot of people the people that saw this movie some great percentage of them um that uh they could be seduced by this character but they could get like hints well before we're stuck in the jungle and everything is collapsing that this guy is 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 no good um so you know I, i'm trying to use a, a an era perspective but the perspective i had was i was operating at a distance from Ali fox immediately as this raving asshole um the way that like Uh, you know, they used to make a lot of new Hollywood movies about just an asshole and they'd let you know they're an asshole in the first 30 seconds. And then at some point in the movie, like 45 minutes in, they do something unforgivable. And then there's like another hour and a half of the movie of them being an asshole. (laughs) Like, uh, I, I find that, um, I, there was, there was, I, I find I have a way to couch all of that. Um, but I think, uh, uh, Rick referred to the character referred to the character as boring, and i both agree but i also find like the the fact that his vortex keeps sucking people in to the point that um even after the point where people are fully repulsed by him and see through his bullshit they're now stuck with him in the jungle because yeah. like jim jones he has so isolated them and yeah. has kept that kept them in these like fear cages uh unable to escape from his gravitational pull. Uh, I mixed a lot of me- metaphors there, but yeah, like I-, I, I just find it very fascinating to use the empathy machine on this movie. I don't think it's quite what it needs to be, which is like a perfect encapsulation of uh, how uh, the hubris of the American dream and like, you know, that sort of movie that you can just like a citizen Kane or a face in the crowd where you can sort of just keep applying that character to, you know, um, different situations. Uh, but in a sense, or, you know, Daniel Plainview, um, but in a sense you can, like, that's why just like Rick, like I, when I ended the movie, I was like, you know, that was really like a powerful movie with a lot of amazing performances, but I'm not sure it like totally worked. And then a day or two later, I was like, wow, this is this is still chewing at me. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, with, I'm yeah. with you, Rick, but also maybe a little bit closer to Aaron in terms of, like, I did find him fascinating while I was watching it, I in just a fe- negative way. Part of it is that, like, I just I think his
1: personification of a form of evil, or whatever you want to call it, is it, it, it is a little boring. Like, you know there's there's nothing more boring than the person who knows how to fix every problem in the world unless but for, but but is also resentful and angry that no one has come to him for that information. <laughs> like you know he he legit like uh, a know-it-all can be interesting at first, because you don't know that this is how we, how they are about everything, right? Like, if you talk to someone and they're like, hey, you know, actually what I think we should do with this. And it's like, you know, he's he's animating, he's compelling and all that stuff. You know, that can be interesting. And, but then when it's about everything and then like legitimate resentment at uh, a, a, like society, the world as a whole has not turned to him for advice, just gets like remarkably droning in a way that I find actually like weirdly compelling like there's the great scene where he's building his town right and he keeps telling he just will not like thankfully they do it in montage but he just keeps won't fucking shut up telling every single person who's like carrying a piece of board like and this is why we should be doing it like this and stuff like that right even though like the majority of those people don't speak English and he spends what is presumably weeks to months, just never shutting up about all the things that would be better if he was in charge. And like, I, I do think that's ultimately boring, but it's not like uncompelling for a character to be like that. I feel like like the, the, you know, he's not Colonel Kurtz. He's not like, I mean, he's 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 like he's like Reagan era Colonel Kurtz. A I little is probably a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Like, where his um he's not selling um the idea of religion or goddom or po- universal power. He's selling the idea of capitalism, that he wants to start over. That I'm gonna I'm gonna create a product, and it's going to be um and it's going to uh. uh be great, and then everyone's gonna look at me as the person who's like the, you know, the 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 smartest person to solve other problems that's going on, and like all of that is so ultimately boring, and you know it's never gonna lead any, any anywhere. In the same way that like a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos or all these other, are, are like ultimately just boring ass dudes who have done terrible terrible things by consistently investing in their own hubris and that's why like i do find it really compelling like i do get like i read roger ebert's review i saw your note rick that like it's just so hateful and boring but it's not without its weird merit that continues to draw people around its orbit in a way that just feels different than if he had turned into a shining type character who's like you know I'm going to drown you because I can bring you back with my magic ice machine.
2: (laughs) No, I I think there's an element of um, of like, um, you know, emotional truth or something to the as a character study. So I get what you're saying. Um, I actually, maybe I should get it out of the way at this point early on too because he what I was going to say was that I feel like I know people who have a similar, there's a vibe where he's like the U.S. is a, like a fallen degenerate state. I need to get out of this, you know, this um, this fallen land full of like, you know, gentrifiers and colonizers and go and gentrify and colonize some other place <laughs> yeah. where I'm going to make a <laughs> yes. more perfect version of the America that I think there should be. And I, like, I feel like I know those guys, actually. Yeah. And uh, I really dislike them. So to yeah. like to see that represented, I think might be part of my emotional repulsion, where I'm just like, oh, man, fuck this guy," <laughs> you know. Like, it's it's not necessarily. He's also boring it's to hear him rant, but there's just an the element where you know maybe maybe um, it's the recognition of that that is repulsive
1: yeah well and he's he's ultimately so full of shit right like and you can tell that too like when he's talking about like how ego- egalitarian it's gonna be right yeah, like right. we just it's like he's he's inventing uh you know some form of like communism or socialism but by way of him still be, like it's like Stalin era communism
2: yeah whatever, it's a, it's right? a benevol- he want he envisions a benevolent dictatorship like a, yeah. a communitarian society where it, he's somehow above the community
1: and they it's, still it's, all need the, to do like what he says, that, but
2: it's fine because he's
1: right all the time. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. it's like the old joke that uh, that uh, if a country has a democratic in its name, you know it's not a democratic country. <laughs> yeah. Because he begins by telling them all, like, I'm not the boss. You guys are the boss. So if I'm doing a bad job, you come and tell me. And then he immediately starts, like, cracking the whip like so to speak like he's not beating anyone he's not he's not uh you know hurting anyone in that sense but he's immediately exploiting their labor he's immediately like uh putting on this he's building this cult-like sense that like we're all in this together when in reality uh i don't know if you guys noticed the the big compound they built they built a really big house for the fox family yeah (laughs) they built a and then they built a greenhouse Oh, and I they noticed built other utilitarian structures, uh, but that they didn't build a big house for the other villagers.
2: Also, a, a lingering question that both Carrie, uh, my partner, and I had watching it was: uh, Did when he enlisted all those people's labor, what was the relationship? He bought the town. Did he buy the people? Did he just uh, he bought the, theoretically, he bought the right? Because
1: there was people there when he got there. Yeah.
2: So now they just work for him because he owns the town. Is that I think the basic the idea relationship.
0: Is that I think the idea is that, um, is, um, you know, I mean, this does happen in a, on occasion and even happened with Jim Jones, like where Jim Jones recruited local people to join and were the local people were a big part of the violence of the last day. Um, uh, the. That there were uh, local people sucked into the vortex of this man's like massive ego, and massive personality. I think the idea is that he came in and maybe that German guy was really like, uh, you know, cruel or neglectful. And he came in and he was like, I have an American dream I'd like to share with you. And people were like, all right, let's see. Let's see. Um, and he kept pro- making them promises, making them promises. And he would give them uh, small miracles like the snow day. Um. Yeah, and the fact that they they did have access to better food, and like they did have uh, a, a lot of advantages. They built them a big dock so that they could, uh, you know, transport goods better. They built them an entire uh, ice operation. Yeah, no, I understand um, all that.
2: But but right, like right from the get go, they're all like, he's just like carry this shit, and they're like, yup, it's just you know.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a little off putting, but you. But then immediately, because Ali Fox doesn't shut the fuck up, you realize. Um, he's just immediately inundating them into this cult. And I, there's a, there's a thing that they say, um, it's a thing I heard a lot in college, particularly in like my business program, which is, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, and it's something that I've talked to a lot of my friends, especially my friends who, uh, aren't American or, um, lived, spent time in Europe. And like, um, one of them lived in Germany for a bunch of years and he was like, so, you know, that thing they say, like in interviews, like you should lie, like a little bit like you should everything should be inflated like by 10 or 15 percent make yourself sound more impressive and then they can find out later that you were you were either lying about your abilities or you know they never find out because you did it um that's like not necessarily a european quality um like that's not necessarily something that people around the world uh, exhibit um because like if you try and do like when I friends like, oh, I, I kind of took my American approach to interviews into interviews in Germany and Austria uh, and they would immediately see through it. Like they immediately called bullshit on it um, and be like, well, can you explain that in more detail? Do you, can you draw that out for me? Can you just like the The fake it till you make it thing is something that can be very seductive, I think, for people. Um, and Ali Fox is the ultimate like um, like con man. Pyramid schemer, where he's like, I don't need that money right now for this because I'm using your investment to pay off the last asshole. Um, and I'm going to use the next asshole to pay off your investment. And if you ever want to pull your money out, this whole thing falls apart. But um, that sort of like con man pyramid scheme where it's just like exploitation built on exploitation is like a deeply American kind of kind of thing
2: right and i think i think we'll probably come back to it a lot but at its heart this is this is a story of like he's he's a he's america right he's like an american yeah. to his core um with all of his faults and uh what what limited um good qualities he has
1: well even just the um uh you know you mentioned earlier like his kind of idea of like hey if i'm being a bad boss come talk to me like that is probably a sentiment he believes to be true, but it crosses with his other sentiment of, I am right all the time, right? Like, if you did the flow chart, <laughs> like the McSweeney's flow chart, it would be <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it would go to, yeah, like, well, I can't be wrong, so your feedback is invalid, right? Which is also a very good metaphor for America, like, you know, we're this bastion of free thought and quote-unquote, and, you know, we, we constantly move towards progress, but also, like, everything we've ever done, especially when we talk about internationally, is right, right? Like, we don't have any countrywide self-reflective on, like, bombing Cambodia or any of the other, like, hundreds and hundreds of incursions into other people's democracies and stuff like that. It's always like, well, yeah, but we're the good guys and we were, you know, exporting freedom or trying to help democracy and it's like, so yeah, you can come and you know, use our court system and our freedom of speech, but, like, whatever you want to use, you're always going to run back to the, the you know, the alley Fox of, like, no, that's good feedback, but, again,
2: <laughs> we're doing it for freedom, so... Right. Well, being, being open to criticism is the right thing to do. So if you're always right, you're open to criticism, but the criticism is wrong because you're always right. Invalid, yeah.
1: Like, I've taken this into consideration.
2: And, then, and unfortunately... Yeah, I over-
1: yeah <laughs> because... Because I can't be wrong, uh, because that's my whole thing, Uh, that even when he, like... And that's why, like, Harrison Ford, like, we'll we'll probably talk about more. We can probably switch right after this, because we're already, I think, really getting into it. But Harrison Ford does do some fucking amazing acting in this movie. There's all those moments where things have gone... uh, Walter White is a great call-out, Peter, because, like things have gone very much not to plan on a man who prides himself on being ten steps ahead and controlling the situation. And every single time his face immediately reads the panic of oh shit, I've completely fucked this up. And then whenever he's questioned about it immediately after, it's all like when he sees the town for the first time and he probably expected this like metropolis or stuff like that. And he recognizes that like, oh shit, this is not at all what I expected, and then someone else questions it. And he's he's able to kind of immediately compose himself into this is fine, this is perfect, this, this is, is better, better thing that I it's wanted. better, yeah. mm-hmm. it's You're better, it's,
0: it's actually better. Yeah, <laughs> here's here, here's the sunroom. Here's where we'll make you know. Here's where we'll grow vegetables. Here's yeah, we're, where we'll blah blah. He immediately starts the cell.
2: We're not we're not encumbered by things that have come before. It's a fresh start. <laughs>
0: Or, oh, yeah. and then
2: later when everything blows up to the icings this is great we'll
1: just live whatever's on the beach we can if we can't find it on the beach we can't we shouldn't need it like but the 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 miracle of the acting there is just like he has this look each time that's like okay like I love the I think the third time it happens where he is clearly like, Okay, this one's really going to do some work to do a quick switch. Just the whole disappointment of having his ice thing blow up, him being on the beach with wreckage, and just like. He polluted the ocean. Yeah, and like he with chemicals. And like just immediately him having to go, okay, okay, this one's going to take a little. I'm going to have to reach really far down for this one. And then the second they're like, go home. What are you talking about?
0: This is great. This is better than I could have expected. He destroyed he destroyed a, a man's boat his livelihood the th- very object that brought them to the the, the, the town uh, of Geronimo um and the man is crying and weeping because like he's like I can't just like you know I if I still had my boat maybe after all this I could go start again like I have family elsewhere um but you've destroyed my livelihood the thing that i've been working on for my entire life and he's like Boat won't do you any good because that river's polluted. Yeah, it's no apology. Just like well, you know, you didn't even need that boat because you can't even can't even use it in this river.
2: <laughs> that I fucked up.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not. I, yeah, exactly. It's not. Sorry, I fucked up your river, but I can make it up to you later. It's like, well, you couldn't even use that boat, so you know why apologize?
1: Yeah, it's like all. It's all like uh, facts. Don't care about your feelings, right? Like it is like. Well, at this point, the the river is unusable. So. Stop whining. <laughs> oh, God. oh, man. Fucking wow. asshole. All right. I, I, Fuck I think, yeah, Fox. I don't. Fuck. Helly he Fox. Do you guys want to pivot and talk more about the Mosquito Coast? Yeah, yes. Man. Buzz Buzz.
0: There's not as many mosquitoes in this movie as I, I thought there would be. Not a one.
1: one. There as any? a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old, I thought this was going to be chock-full of mosquitoes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> as a 30-year-old, I also thought it was going to be chock-full of mosquitoes. It's the second word in the title. And I frankly I ignore the. Yeah. Yeah, the's an article at best. Several several coasts. Alternate taglines for us there.
1: I know we did cancel it three episodes ago f- officially, Peter. But I, I appreciate your persistence in trying to bring it back. It does ha- just so happen I have two. They're actually these are more retitlings than alternate taglines, but I, but I do have them. Uh, one is Boomer the Movie, um, and the other is uh, the Mike Pence Story. Um, <laughs> That's mainly because I think their politics are line. I know, and then mother and father. <laughs> mother his
2: father. wife, mother. Uh, I got some thoughts on that.
0: Mother's I'm, very angry. <laughs> I've been asking this for years of people. Like literally, I think the I think it was like I, I stopped talking about Trump politics with most people because it was just like, yeah, how often can you say everything is fucking terrible? But the thing I kept asking everyone I knew, I was like, do you know a single person whose dad? called their mom mother. And I just keep coming back to, like, uh, the fact that uh, Tom Skerritt called the AI mother an alien. That's (laughs) all that I can think of now. And then I saw it in this, and I was like, it's got to be a real thing. And I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Mike Pence territory. I don't fucking... I've never heard of this before. What has to happen is two things. One, it is true that,
1: like, you know, sometimes when you're referring to your partner...
2: Yeah, I was gonna say the same. I know where you go. You
1: refer to them as like, hey, you know, mom. Like, I don't, I don't call like I call Shauna when I'm talking to her, Shauna. um, But I, but I'll be like, you know, hey, did you hear what mom said? Or ask mom, or ask mom, or something like that. Um, Or even
2: uh, when Noah, you know, my daughter is like. Uh, Mama something, Mama something, Mama something, and Carrie doesn't hear her, I will yeah. actually be like, Mama, she's talking to you. Like, that's happening. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but not in the absence of that circumstance.
0: You don't go, Mother, <laughs> Noah wishes to speak with
1: you.
2: <laughs> not <laughs> yeah, yet. Not yet.
1: So I, I feel like that's a little bit of it. But where it gets creepy is if and, – and this is where I think, like, this may be a little bit too much of a sincere answer – but I think, like the Mike Pence's of the world, stop seeing their wives or partners as like women, yeah. and start seeing them only by what they've done for them, which is or as broodmares, sire, yeah, sire, children <laughs> or stuff like that as part of their job, and so like it becomes creepier when it's almost like
2: you 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 refer to them as like the house, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the in the context of this movie, though, I think that is uh, I think that's textually accurate. I think mm-hmm. because for Ali Fox, every everything has its purpose, and his purpose is in service of his vision. Helen yeah. Mirren exists solely in in this role as as a mother.
0: Yeah, and this it, this movie definitely does have a sort of like. Um, uh uh, iconographic or perhaps like like anthropologically speaking like it can it it almost has like a primitive quality to it like it has a like where uh it's about a family that's like you know ostensibly starting a new world um and there's a on top of the old one there's a father there's two there's two boys there's two girls Yes the the colonialism aspect is is hugely uh is is a huge part of the nuance here but um the father is you know this this driving force behind the family's ambitions and and, and uh drives the family's uh, fortunes and famine um uh, and then the mother is supposed to be this like nurturing character that that uh feeds behind it so it becomes this weird like uh, gen- it's like a toxic side of gender normativity, and like I, I, I feel like there's definitely a read here as this, this is sort of like um uh, the nuclear family run amok. And it's also well, one hundred percent because oh, um,
1: she's she's essentially never a barrier to to him. I, that actually got a lot of weirdly. um I think even Roger Ebert. I saw. I read another contemporary review that that mentioned it, where it's like. That it, like, passed the point of credul- credulity that Helen Mirren wouldn't have done something more to protect the kids at some point. And it It was like, yeah, I think you're really – like, I, I think you, and when you think of your mom or people in your life, m- would have done something. But, like, I think what – to your point, Peter, what they're going for here is this idea of, you know, her job was not to – uh, was to to only acquiesce to what the father wanted, right? Like, to the mother's job was not to not to provide the direction, but to support the direction.
2: So, maybe I don't know if we're, we should dive into plot first, but I have another thought about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say your thought about that. It's fine. okay. So I'll just. My There's my no answer. rules. There's so no the uh, so definitely I think it's you know it, it makes sense. It it only makes sense, in fact, as a sort of. Uh, portrait of, of colonial patriarchy in like an allegorical sense because uh, yes. I, I actually kind of land more on the, the Ebert side of that criticism where I don't think I think it's one of the things that doesn't work about the movie that maybe works better in the book I don't know but on film it really she's mother the girls are the twins so the women are nameless um, yeah. and only exist sort of in service of um, of Valley Fox. And aside from Hattie, uh, by and large – or not by and large, literally everyone else is a kind of undifferentiated mass of like black and brown folks. They're just – and their bodies, black and brown bodies laboring in service of the colonial patriarch. And if you look at it from that sense, uh, you can have a reading of it as a critique of all those things. As a story, on the other hand, it seems it it runs the risk or – begs the question of whether the film itself is perpetuating the things that it's critiquing. So that's a constant problem I had.
0: Yes. I, I, I have the same, the same issue where at times the, I can accept, I can accept, um, the, 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 the Helen Mirren's character, um, is so bowled over by him because in, in a sense, he is just like a abusive, overbearing patriarchal figure. Um, but there were times with the, the 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 native people of Geronimo where I was very uncomfortable. Where I was like, they just get bowled over so quickly, um, and it's not until the end where we see any of the native people put up any rebellion to Allie Fox, um, and all his rebellion is like, your dad's an idiot. Here are spark plugs for the boat, and here's gas. Put it in the boat. Um, and, and, and I, I think, Rick, you you pointed something that I was thinking as well, which is that, like, books can get by with some ext- abstraction um, and can work in a, in a less literalist fashion. But, like, cinema very often, particularly, like, westernized cinema of this regard, um, uh, we have a hard time – we have a hard time with two things. Like, one, having a main character who is conflicting or challenging and, and kind of, um, you know <laughs> – evil but it takes us some time to get there and uh two uh we have a, a problem with film as a sort of l- literalist like it's very like abstract film is is, is is a very tough concept for us because we take so much of this this is like a real thing even if the universe's rules are a little tweaked um people are so focused on right right or wrong people are just so focused on uh you know is this uh, believable or not Uh, simulation simulacra of uh, reality um whereas like in a book you're very willing to be like oh i guess in this universe people just talk funny (laughs) Whereas, like it takes like that's i mean it's the thing like you start watching a david lynch movie and you're like why are the performances so stilted and you're like oh yeah it's a david lynch movie and then you're in it in 15 minutes right yeah it builds abstraction in ways that i think you know peter weir doesn't
2: i think that's right and i mean peter weir also i i feel like the direction um in many ways, is a little is a little listless, and he's kind of said the same that he wasn't passionate about the project, which is kind of funny given that they went to such lengths to do it. But uh, and
0: it's you such know, a wild movie,
2: yeah. But I think because it's so, it's such a narrative. It's a narrative feature. It's not like there yeah. are moments of visual splendor, but not very many. Uh, for the most part, it's kind of like you you could do this as like a, a stage production, a high school stage production with a bunch of fans and some streamers, but like. Uh, that's i think one thing that distinguishes it from something like lynch it doesn't really seem to have that kind of point of view actually
1: i gotta tell you whatever that high school stage version is is going to be incredibly problematic
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually they shouldn't shouldn't do that let's not
0: whatever kid can successfully pull off ally fox needs to be like locked in a cave for 20 years (laughs) he's too dangerous for the world (laughs) uh yeah Peter, what happens in this movie that we haven't mentioned? <laughs> uh, you guys heard of this movie? Mosquito Coast? The Fox family, uh, head by the patriarch Allie Fox, uh, is uh, in, um, is it like the rural east coast? I don't know. They're in America. I think like uh, Iowa. Iowa? Okay. I mean, I guess it's farmer territory, so that makes sense. Um, They are, uh, what is it, they're a large family. They are supported by the patriarch, uh, Ali, who's sort of an inventor genius, but he's also a raving fucking lunatic um, and goes around and just burns bridges. Um, And when he burns those bridges, he assumes that uh, the people that didn't go along with this plan are idiots or lazy or stupid. Uh, here's what he is in a
1: nutshell like and this is how he gets like fired or quit in anger at the beginning of the movie when the guy as we said once uh once like to please figure out a way to refrigerate my bar and he's like i invented a new cooling ice maker device from heat um it's like when like the type of asshole guys who like their their uh, partner or significant others like you know for our anniversary or or my birthday i just want like a quiet night the two of us and then that person's like i'm gonna throw a huge surprise party and all your friends are coming and i'm gonna rent a fucking petting zoo and then like when when that person's like yeah no it's not like i don't appreciate the effort but I just, I, I just kind of wanted a quiet night. It's like, what are you saying? I didn't put in all this effort. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like that, that's what Ali Fox is. That's a beautiful yeah. movie. Yeah, it's
0: a good, it's a good uh, comparable allegory to uh, inventor who makes an ice machine. Um, Cause that's not very relatable. Um I know I know approximately zero people who've made Nice Machine, but I know a lot of people that misunderstand what their girlfriends and partners say to them. Um or like but, uh, ignores it for something more spectacular. Yes. Um so uh <clears throat> he comes up with this crazy idea um to move to the jungle. Uh and he he concocts this this idea um very quickly. In, in, in such a such a fury that um he he leaves notes for the farmer that he's working for basically telling him to fuck off his family doesn't have time to pack everything they own they have to leave the house with the dishes in the sink um and they set off so they have to take you know boats and buses and ferries and blah 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 they end up in a in a town um wherein alley uh Sweet talks. I don't really know. Uh, a what apparently inebriated and depressed uh, German guy who just wants to get rid of a lease for a town called Geronimo. Um, and Ali doesn't know fucking anything about it. But he comes back excitedly to this hotel room um, where he's, he's with his family staying and just like awaiting, you know, further instructions from him. And he's like, we found this town. So they go to Geronimo. And uh, as uh, we talked about earlier, the, he's expecting a town town. Um, probably similar to the very thriving sort of uh, you know dockside town that that uh, they arrived in, um, but instead it's 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 a really modest village. There's just a few standing structures. Some of them are burnt out um it's a very small populace less than 20 people um maybe less than 15 uh he immediately starts twisting this um into oh well you know this is great we can start fresh and he through montage through the power of montage um and an exploitation of labor he builds town for his his wife and his children mosquito netting and and um sets up new Gardening centers, or excuse me, um, he sets up new greenhouses so that they can plant uh, fruits and vegetables more efficiently. And he's he's got the town under his sway in a very cult-like manner. And he immediately starts, he, he's just too hungry. Uh, and he immediately starts uh, about a project to make a massive ice machine. Um, so they start buying parts and salvaging parts and, and, you know, trading down the river to get the necessary pieces of the... Um, this ice machine, and it turns into this somewhat surreal, again, the abstraction thing. This is something that we would accept in a book immediately and be like, the story is a little weird. But in a movie, it takes you a minute to adjust to that reality. The the This massive multi-story sheet metal coated uh, ice st- structure that essentially is a big room that makes ice. Um, and so he's kind of performing miracles for this this town, so to speak, with his inventor better quality and it also produces uh cold clean water and produces air conditioning so people can be comfortable um and he believes that ice is civilization that the the ability to control nature um that they can refrigerate their fruit now and keep it uh longer into the season longer outside the season i should say <clears throat> um that that's that's like a miracle that he's produced and he thinks you know ice is civilization ice is civilization which I, we should you know do, do, we should probably park here like, that was one thing that made this feel very symbolic and iconographic is the appearance of this massive, just crazy, almost sci-fi tower. Um, and that I, he keeps talking I'd say it's about. My, I'd
2: say it's my favorite scene in the movie.
0: It's it's pretty incredible. And it's this 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 moment where the movie takes off this quality of, like, this mundane asshole. Um, and yeah. it takes off to this, like... This much heightened place uh, where he says he, he acts like he's controlling the very elements of the universe and he's no longer built. Like at this point, the movie, if, you know, if it had gone a different way, like he could have this massive town soon. Like you, you, you do start to get caught up in Allie Fox's bullshit, even though, you know, he's like a racist and an exploiter and a colonizer. You start to get a little, little caught up here.
1: Well, everyone, everyone likes a good tree fort. I think. And I, I, I think I the this, like this, this
2: the Swiss Family Robinson component, and then the yeah. the sort of Herzogian, um, you know, uh, like Fitzcarraldo vibe of doing the oh, impossible yeah. in the jungle is very strong in that scene.
0: The the hubris of of a man in his dream, um, and that like this this looks so out of place. There's this amazing um, shot. I imagine it's partly or wholly composition. Um, wholly um, drawn composition, I should say, illustrated composition uh, of uh this tower and it, it standing out in the jungle. Um, is is phenomenal. It's a g- gorgeous image. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not here to judge
1: whose lunatic dream was ultimately better, but I will say that I'm going to build a tower that will produce ice from fire at a at a massive scale is potentially a more interesting lunatic dream than i'm going to move this boat from here to here
2: <laughs> well he i mean he wants to bring uh culture and ally fox wants to bring uh technology.
1: opera is life
2: <laughs>
0: or oh, wait opera i got to German accent
1: yeah? Yeah.
2: opera is
0: life <laughs> but yeah the that 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 sequence has like a very like pr- um primitive like quality to where it's like he's controlling the the natural elements and like why wouldn't they yeah. be impressed right he did he does
1: he does, he does like uh he does like a ceremony like an, like a religious ceremony around this unveiling it's it's per- the perfect metaphor for him.
0: you immediately see them sledding down a hill of yeah. ice
2: <laughs>
0: so uh they they can they also uh because of Allie's uh, hubris uh, decide that they there's a Uncontacted tribe, the term is kind of, you know, problematic, but let's just, you know, it's a, it's a tribe living deeper in, the, in into the jungle um, that does not have a lot of contact with, a lot of contact with uh, even the, the natives of, of Geronimo, right? Um, so this uncontacted tribe, uh, that, that, you know, Ali says, they've never seen ice. I'm going to bring them a miracle. I'm going to bring them this ice, this, uh, you know, this ice ball and so he uh in a very like this is his first tyrannical move that is read as tyrannical like people are pissed off and people are angry with him and his family is revolting um they drag ice through the mountains um it's a huge block that's gradually melting. They have to camp for a little bit. He's yelling at his children. He's telling his children essentially like, if you're going to be weak, you'll drag the rest of us behind. He and makes the son cry. He makes the son cry. Uh, the son will. If this movie ended with the son killing Allie Fox, that also would be a pretty good ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the whole family stabbing this guy at once like that would also be a <laughs> Julia, variation on that.
2: Julius Caesar.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh two River Phoenix. Um, the, the by the time they get to this village, uh, that massive ice block that they hauled is melted. Also, sort of a symbolic kind of gesture, and they have not impressed. They have not impressed the, the this tribe, and they're like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Like, what the fuck are you doing? But they notice that some mercenaries have been taken hostage and Ali immediately is like oh come to the village if you can get out and you know we'll, we'll take you in um i don't think he thinks they're mercenaries i think he thinks yeah i was gonna
2: i was gonna say i think that scene is interesting though because he uh it his racism against the native folks in his racism he assumes that they're white captives that's what he keeps calling yeah. them <laughs> instead of actually murderers who probably tried to kill them but anyways and
1: that's and they were trying to save him by him by saying like get out of yeah. here yeah,
0: yeah. Um, they want to protect it, their hostages. You yeah. You
2: fucking
0: idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they, they, they go back to the village and they're immediately followed by mercenaries with automatic weapons. Um, and the, they sort of move in. There's shadowy implications that they want to sexually assault Helen Mirren. Uh, that they want to, you know, take over this. And then, you know, not implications that they want to take over the village for themselves. Like these these mercenaries are genuine threats. Um, these are, these are other forces of co- colonial violence, but at this point, uh, Allie's been living in a sort of idealistic fantasy where, you know, violence doesn't exi- doesn't need to exist. That sort of violence doesn't need to exist. Um, because in his, his, uh, simulation version of Geronimo, uh, there's no war. Um, he doesn't need to do, to, to think about that because he hasn't thought about that yet. Um, so he, uh, concocts a plan to kill them. By freezing them in the tower, he enlists his son, um, which I, I can't believe I haven't talked about, like, River Phoenix's character at all, um, yeah. Charlie. We'll get there. Yeah. But, I mean, just to park here, R- River Phoenix is largely just watching Ally Fox, so Charlie Fox is largely just watching Ally Fox do this crazy shit and you're viewing it through his perspective so at times it's wondrous but you know it's still your dad so your dad's a little cringe or your dad's a little bit of a a nutcase but like you know you're out in the jungle um but at this point like charlie fox is turning against his dad because of his cruelty um and he enlists charlie to help him close off the tower so they can freeze these mercenaries that are sleeping inside to death the mercenaries start to wake up during this shoot the tower the tower is full of uh, volatile chemicals and it explodes it blows up the whole town the fire climbs through the ac vent i'm assuming just Mm -hmm. like you know through the oxygen of it um and blows up their house it blows up the whole town so the people of geronimo kind of flee they're like the shit is all on fire and we don't have food anymore. We got to go figure something out. Like, bye dude. Like this is, this is the point in the movie where like the, if the audience is not caught on that alley Fox is full of shit, like here you go. Um, and he, of course, is tries to bounce back. And he's like, well, the river is poison, so we got to go out of here. So he immediately goes to the coast, and he's like, oh, we'll we'll be scavengers. Stuff will wash up on these, these shores all the time because um, of all the sinking ships and all the commercial industry here and yada yada. Like, we'll use that to build a home. And the, to- the family at this point is kind of turned against him. Um, and he builds a home. Uh, it's a home on a boat but uh, it's now been a little bit since I've watched this movie so (laughs) certain names are slipping. It took me a minute to think of Charlie and he's the main character of the movie.
2: Well actually I mean while you're looking I was going to say about Charlie I I think that's a problem with the film and not really with your uh, recollection because it is you know like the book apparently he's the audience surrogate. He's the reader's surrogate where he even narrates parts of the movie right and he gets these like lines at the end but it doesn't really feel like it. It feels like he drops out for significant portions of it. And maybe that's because he's eclipsed by this huge figure of his father. You could read it that way, but it could also be like the film didn't do a great job, uh, translating that from the page.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Harrison Ford in an interview said, you know, if anything, we did we didn't do a good enough job making it a, a more literary movie, which, um, I disagree with him in, in, in that sort of capacity, but um, <laughs> I don't think the problem with the movie is that it didn't steal more text from the the book. Um, but I agree with you in the sense where it's like, yeah, there, there's there's a disconnect between the literary and the cinematic um, that like at, at, at times like you wish that they would have leaned harder into the cinematic and made this more of a memoir style deal um, because. It seems like the filmmakers or the scriptwriters got so caught up on uh, in depicting Allie Fox that they they forget. Um but yeah, so Mr. Hattie he, Wait, hold on. You think
1: Paul Schrader did that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he, Schrader. Focused a, he focused on a focused on a compromised anti hero to the exclusion of every other element of the story?
0: Oh, that's <laughs> weird that's weird. So the guy's name is Mr. Hattie, right? Um boat guy. Mm-hmm yeah okay. just just clarifying with everyone um so mr hattie is, is has been sort of their uh the lead exploited person dash the their sort of confidant through all this um and he uh shows up and he's like guys where you are is on like a flood plain like where where you're camped like it seems like a paradise right now but like when the rains come you this none of this is going to be here like you you need you need to move further upland you need to move further up river or you know, just fucking come back to town with me. Like you can figure out your fortunes from there. My family will take you in. Like a genuine act of of kindness. Um, yeah, he, he's gotten his boat back. Um, or well, he's got a bo- boat back. It's a sailboat, so it's it's you know serves a different function. Um, his industry has changed, I guess. Notably, sailing. Yeah, yeah. He's he doesn't have a motorized boat anymore to go upriver, which presumably means he's not getting the business he used to get. Oh,
1: different, di- potentially different business. If if
2: people want to go schooning,
0: yeah. Uh, sorry, Rick. Were you going to say something?
2: Oh, it was just it's. Uh, he he got that boat with the watch that Ali Fox gave him, kind of yeah. like as an apology. And then Ali Fox is kind of pissed about it, which I thought was funny. Yeah, like why is which why is he such. Te- a-
0: yeah, and it's such a that is that is a perfect move. Like I made an amazing trade. Like I I can now like take up industry again, and I I've gotten to see you all, but in a way that I can pop in, say hi, and then return to my family. Presumably, still it was like hours upriver, right, or up the coast, right? Like it it's such a like. You know, like
1: you're supposed to eventually hold on to that so it can be worth millions of dollars. Like you got fucking George Washington's watch or something, right? Like not, like you don't just, yeah. you don't just go and take it and sell it. Like this is a part of me, the most brilliant Can't person win. who can win with this the guy. world. Yeah, I know. I mean, that is it, right? Like you cannot win with this guy. Yeah. Um Yeah. Anyways, yeah, it floods.
0: <laughs> yeah, it floods. Um, in a pretty harrowing scene, Mister Hattie comes up and he's like, "It is raining. Put these spark plugs in your fucking boat, and um, put the gas in the engine. Like, you know, don't tell your dad this is where you came from. Just tell him you found it. Cause he would rather die than accept charity from someone." So, um, they barely survive this, like just barely. Um, and then they start, uh. Drifting. But then he punishes
1: the kids. They put him in the boat behind for not wanting to drown.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they We uh, drown
1: as a family
0: <laughs> or not at all. Like Yeah. Not at all was what I was going for. Well, oh no, they, they he he puts them in this boat behind as a as a form of punishment because he jumps in the water to get their their prop yeah, falls yeah. off of the boat. And he dives in to go after it and then he's just gone and the rope is that this his safety rope is um he's he's slipped it and uh he's he hasn't come back up and they're like it's been a long time and then the kids are like, well I guess we have to move on because we need to survive and he's so betrayed by this idea so similar to the Mr Hattie in the watch situation yeah it's 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 very similar where he's like Oh, no, uh, you know, uh, ad- adventurous capitalism for me, uh, you know, taking big risks and, and, you know, moving on and, and, and you know, not letting uh, not letting him see the sweat in your brow. Uh, that's for me. It's not for everyone else. Uh- <laughs> it's
1: also it's also the narcissistic part, right? Which obviously Allie Fox would fall into where it's like, uh, you can't move on from me because the world... <laughs> Only exists through my eyes. Right. The world spins so, on my I, axis. Yeah, when when I die, the world is over.
0: So how could you possibly think you could just move on? Um, so they start moving upriver, and they hear a sound, and they uh, a strange sound, and so they come ashore um, to check it out, and they find out the missionary Andre Andre Gregory has also been building his own little Geronimo, um, and uh it is a very re- a reputable camp with a church and um you know seemingly wire bar- li- friends, seemingly living spaces for more people than just his family like it seems like there's you know uh, maybe barracks style but there's at least other structures than just the church and the house for his family and there, he walks in the church expecting to see, he, he walks in the church like to confront Andre Gregory because he's so mad. This, 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 this that, uh, you know, <laughs> this religious guy was able to, by exploiting people's um, fear of damnation as opposed to fear of Ali Fox, because Ali Fox is God, um, he was able to build a, a successful village that didn't explode, a non exploding village. Um, via via his missionary work and he walks in and it's fucking automated they're watching a big like rear projection TV that is also at the time at the time these were rare and very expensive like this was a luxury item so presumably like Andre Gregory is assigned to like a much larger church that's also why he's handing out like the blue jean bible and stuff en masse he presumably has crates of those fuckers so they, they 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 argue about what to do the family has fallen apart on the river and they essentially they like go back to their boat and uh, there's a you know there's a moment where uh, Charlie runs into the preacher's daughter but it's ultimately not that effectual to the rest of the movie uh,
1: hold on it is important to note though that like when you watch that you're like oh look he's not even there anymore he just has the He's just teaching them via video cassette, right? But then he is there. He just doesn't even bother to... He just throws in a tape for him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because this could have been a thing where he has moved on to a new village. Yeah. And he'll come back around every few months, you know, the in the classical model of the preacher, which is like, you know... Yeah. It's, it's, it's where a lot of, like, marriage law gets iffy because it's like, well, yeah, we got married because the the shaman or the priest doesn't come around every month so yeah. you know we got married um, it's sort of in that classical model but instead he's just there he's just automated his his yeah. salvation of these people he's like
1: he's like modified the ten commandments so that
2: number eleven is like be kind rewind and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's also I mean the ice has more practical value I suppose but uh, it's a connection between the two of them because I think the films going out of its way to try and link them as two sides of the same coin where they both have their yeah. te- technology, uh, as, uh, an instrument of, of colonization. Colonization.
0: Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, um, so yeah, Andre Gregory's hands are obviously not clean here, but my, my, my point earlier was just like Andre Gregory at least offered them what seems like a, a, a more functional village. Again, a not at least at a minimum, a non exploding one. Yeah. Um, che-
2: chemicals are, are not in the water.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: not exploding till Mr. Fox gets there. <laughs> Give yeah, it time. Give yeah. it the
2: fantastic
1: Mr. Exploding Fox.
0: <laughs> Aaron gently pushing me to continue the plot <laughs> recap because um, Allie Fox is so... <laughs> in the, the last three minutes! ...is so incensed by this, he determines to set the, the, the uh, church on fire uh, at night when no one's in it, um, and it's chaos around the village, and then Andre Gregory immediately knows what's going on and goes out in the jungle with his rifle uh he can hear Allie like trying to usher his family back to their boat so they can keep floating uh down the river and andre gregory shoots in the dark and he hits uh ally fox um they all get back on the boat and Allie fox dies yeah it's a Bummer, bummer. Never to make. Never yet. That really is the end. Like, yeah. uh,
2: well, well, they're going. They're harsh. going up. They're going upriver because trash goes downriver,
0: right? Oh uh, yes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Salmon fight upstream, um, or something like that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's so. Getting that's back a, to
1: something um, that I uh, almost derailed a little bit of the plot recap on, but I I do think it's such an important point because we we've, we've almost talked about him not being as like. You know, charismatic. He's kind of an old bore, and he kind of says um, says you know how how he knows the the right answer to everything. A lot of things that are true about his character, but he does have like as both a metaphor and a literalization. I there is moments of Ali Fox where when he is excited and he is happy about something that he is a like a very fun person to be around right like and i think that works both as a metaphor for like america and colonialism and like you know and and also just as like uh the way abusers continue to hurt their families and stuff like that like you know when he first when they first get to nicaragua and he's just like, I did it like we're we're living the dream and he's having he's smiling and he's dancing and he's having he's like showing his kid all the fun stuff they're going to do. And then he buys the town and he comes back like, you know, that that kind of like, hey, as as long as I'm excited about something and things are working out, it's like something I share with everyone it's it's the scene in the movie where the colonizers come and give everyone the the you know the indigenous people like chocolates and show them their amazing wares quote unquote and like I'm just having a good time. I'm so happy to be here with you guys and like the 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 side of that is kind of twofold that one it's not about necessarily just keeping that person happy or that metaphor for an entire nation happy. Right. Because, and that's really epitomized by the scene after he accomplishes everything that he wants. Right. He builds the town. He has a town. He has uh, people that are listening to all his dumb fucking things and nodding along. Mm -hmm. He builds a scientific Marvel and, and uses it to make the town have what they need and be like, um, have a legend that starts spreading. But ultimately, he like takes a dark turn because once he's achieved that goal, he's not having fun anymore, and so he tries to hypothesize what else would give him that same fix of like triumph because ultimately, that excitement is 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 short lived. Absolutely. And, and then as he starts going up the mountain, like in no way is he excited about this new opportunity anymore because it's it's now pathological. It's not like. He he's not sharing in the joy with his two kids, his two sons, who are going up there with him. Right? It's not like we're gonna show them this ice and it's gonna be great. Like no one's they're gonna write about me in the history books. Blah blah blah. Instead, it's just berating the kids on the way up there. It's blaming them for everything that goes wrong and everything else because now, like. And that's why it's so, like, you know, I I can speak about it both ways, both as the metaphor and the, and the literal. It's like, what have we done differently that now it's, a it, you know, it, that there's abuse? It's nothing, right? Like, theoretically, he should still be as excited, but it's not anymore because he just needs this new fix. It's like, you know that narcissism is uh, is like a drug that needs to be sated. Uh, abuser is, uh, you know, that kind of praise that you get is something that needs to be sated. And then if you look at it for like a country, it's like how many countries has America or other colonial powers like tried their best to like appease and like, oh, hey, you like this? Go build whatever you need here and stuff like that. And at some point it's like, yeah, 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 no. But like now we found out we need your oil or we need X or Y and we'll destroy whatever's there even the good stuff that we built in order to ultimately say what is like underlying all the happiness at, uh, you know, our quote unquote, like good, exciting new stuff that we're bringing to the world.
2: Absolutely. I think that's really astute. I think uh, you know, I was reading, um, uh, someone saying that, uh, a link between, uh, similarity between, uh, the missionary and Allie Fox is that they're both looking for worshipers. And that's, that's true, but I feel like for the missionary there's you know the the comfort of his house that he has there and this like ease of island life or whatever but he's doing it in the service of something that he sees as bigger than himself but for Ali Fox it only comes back to this yeah. adulation he's chasing this this high that as soon as the people he's like they're taking me for granted that's basically what he says is you know, these people aren't impressed by my ice anymore. I need to go find somebody else to be impressed by my ice. Yeah. And it's like it does become pathological. That's exactly right. He doesn't You're so it's right. not in service to not in service to anything. It's just in service to getting that feeling back. I was just gonna say, as a very quick
1: addendum to that, it's also like the metaphor for capitalism, right? There's there's no such thing as too much money. Like you always right. need exponential growth. And um, you know, it it, you know. A lot of people smarter than me have pointed out, like we're at the point in this country where, like, growth on par of the previous year is considered a failure for the country, you know, for the company because they only made four million dollars. Well, they made four million dollars last year, so I guess the company is not doing well. And that thing of like, you can't sate uh, exponential growth forever because there's no such thing as infinite market share and there's no such thing as infinite and so like even if Ali Fox went to you know tribe to tribe and village to village like at some point he's going to run out of that and then that's when it can't help but turn in on itself because um, there's no such thing as like eternal growth and adulation
2: with limited resources you have to start selling people shit they don't need which is his big beef with America.
1: Yeah, and in the same way there's there's in the, you know if you focus it back down to the personal level, there's no such thing as like um uh infinite good days, right? Like you you're not going to have a good day every day. You're not going to feel satisfied by work and stuff like that every day. And if and if on the days that you don't, you turn into like a, you know, a, you, you abuse your your family or your kids or your employees or whoever else it is, like you're always going to be stuck in that cycle because you're never going to get what you need from from the highs of your life
0: yeah yeah i I really like the i really like the idea though that like their their mutual pursuit of worship worshipers um it's just like it's a different model (laughs) um because like uh the priest's version of that is a pretty uh self-sustaining system right like You build up, you build up worshipers, you keep them in the system, you keep them in the system, you find a way maybe to make one of the worshipers into a priest for you. And then you move on, you build another missionary town. Um, and and, and if anybody ever loses sight of it, you're like, haha. but remember, you don't want to go to hell. So, you know, eye on the prize. Um, uh, for Allie, like, because he's such a atheist, he doesn't. He, he he doesn't have like the sort of um, religious devotion to string people along. He doesn't have that particular carrot. He needs to constantly come up with new miracles so that people don't lose sight of him as as a as a as a godlike figure, uh, a god among men. And I, I I always find that really fascinating because like he does reach a point where he could stop, reassess the needs of his people, and come up with rather mundane fixes that like would increase the quality of their life and make them happier. And like, but instead it like always needs to be an escalation It always needs to be an escalation. And like, Lord knows if he had successfully killed those mercenaries um, and that project had turn out just fine, w- would he have just, you know, Oh, well now that I built ice, the new miracle is, <laughs> <laughs> I need to build you a transit system. I need to build a road. I need to build you this. Like he he he's keep he, he, he's he's chasing a higher high.
1: Yeah, the reason why that doesn't impact religious people is cuz like their savior's been coasting on that one big miracle for 2000 years. So <laughs> like <laughs> They know that, like, you can just do the one big thing and then never have to do anything impressive ever again.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, like, bringing people a sense of, like, regular peace or even just reminding them of the, the core message is, like, stable kind of – that's a, a stable kind of growth. Um, it's a stable way to keep people in the system. But Allie Fox's, the system that he's built, is, is inherently unstable and, fo- and extremely yep. volatile in and, and a very literal, <laughs> much, literal way.
2: Yeah, Much like his ice machine.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, a, it's extremely volatile in kind of every, every meaning of the term.
2: Yeah. I wonder if the book uh, leans as heavily on that metaphor as the
0: movie does. It's a good metaphor. I mean, the book was hugely popular. Enormously. In the movie race, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean,
0: theoretically... Peter, we were locked down the rights before the book was even released, and the book built up. The, the, the producer population. that hired him, yeah, yes, yeah, uh, Zenz? Zents, yeah, Zenz? yeah. yeah. Um,
1: you guys don't know from the title of the movie, and <laughs> the only streaming platform to watch it. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: uh, I believe his name
2: was parentheses uh, Zents. I thought that's the name of the film. I thought that that's what it's called in in German, <laughs> <It's> South African. <laughs> <I don't know.
1: laughs> the the blowing up of the ice machine, though, actually like really serves to underline I think just a just a crucial part of like that character though because he he again he knows everything he's a know-it-all he if everyone just listened to what it like he what he wanted or what he knew to be true everything would be fine I love all those moments of like him convincing his son that like hey yeah they're gonna get these fumes and they're gonna turn to ice and if they just lay down and go to sleep they'll be fine now for him Fine means dead and out of his life. But like he is just convinced that they're going to like because it's so obvious, because that's what I would do in my hypothetical situation that he, of course, would never expect himself to be in. I would just lay down and die. And of course, he just gets actually angry when they don't just accept their fate (laughs) because they are outwitted and lay down and die, and then, you know, blows up. He's like, what? They were supposed to just lay down. And it's like, what do you mean supposed to just lay down? Like, why would they take that action? Like, but, um, which is, again, so much of, like, our cultural dialogue now is, like, just based on people who know exactly what people who, what other people should do with a completely different outlook and perspective and ideas. And, like, that literally expecting people to lay down and die because they've been outwitted by super genius Allie Fox is like the, the epitome of him just going, why don't people just do what, they, what I want, what they should do? Like, and of course, then he gets angry at them for not doing it. You know, he doesn't blame himself for that. He blames them for being for not dying the way that he had orchestrated.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, which is, it's, it's, it's also just so insane, because the guys were completely fucking asleep, and are you telling me you couldn't have convinced Mr. Hattie and a couple of those guys to, like, they're here to kill us, we just need to get in there and steal their guns, and then we're fine, like... All we need to do is, is like three of us get in there, steal their guns. Like this is much simpler. But instead he's like, no, not only will I be their savior, I will do it, you know, with just my family. And, uh, I'm going to use my, uh, miracle weapon to kill them. <laughs> like yeah. he needs to, t- he needs to turn into like fucking Mr. Freeze for a minute. But in reality, <laughs> it's like sometimes you're like, what if Mr. Freeze just had a gun? Uh, well, I think
2: <laughs> again, I think it comes back to, uh, to something that might have worked better on the page which is that it's he's trying you know the this life-giving technology has now morphed through his hubris into an ill-fated weapon of death right like that's oh that's the, so I, I feel like the, the film is chock full of these things and uh yeah some, some of them work and, and some of them don't work as well but i think that's the answer to the question
1: I do really like, though, how, like, the the mercenaries are the only people who never really buy into his bullshit, even at the beginning. Um, I mean, the pastor, I guess, doesn't. He's just as nice to everyone because he's trying to convert them all to his, you know, religion or whatever. But, like, and I think, like, w- the way he reacts to that is, like, the perfect, perfect way to visualize how, like, ultimately pathetic he is. Because when, when... He he is not able to like do he's he, first of all, he's very obvious because they, they're they there and he's like, yeah, I, you know, yeah, just we don't stay here. We can't you can't stay here. Take my boat. Like, it's very obvious that he is doing that to get them out of there in a way that they are right, rightfully suspicious of. Right. Yeah. Like if he would have he, he, if he would have handled that in, in many different ways. Uh, Chances are they would have eventually taken the boat or stuff like that. But he just is so um, uh, is so convinced of his own ability to manipulate people that it, the manipulation becomes, like, patently obvious. And it's the first time that, like, that just isn't working in the way that we've seen it work on screen. And then when that doesn't work, he goes where, where he always goes, which is a big idea that, it, once again, because we're it through the prism of people who are in no way buying his bullshit – it just seems so incredibly misguided and pathetic that he just goes about slowly breaking everything and demolishing everything and then like the worst bluffer in a in a game of poker <laughs> like when he's not getting the cards on the fly, but clearly someone else is, he still feels himself as pot committed. And when it's clearly not working, he just only destroys more stuff while they just sit and stare at him and just wonder what is this person's end game while not leaving. Like, I love all that because it just really like, it's the first time the movie shows how pathetic this, this person is like, he he doesn't he's not a genius he's not doesn't have a cohesive vision he's just a lunatic who occasionally gets lucky and then uses that to reinforce his own hubris
0: yeah i feel like this is i think we're kind of pointed towards the end here because i I feel like uh there's more details of ally fox being a, a true dickhead um like for instance when he his daughter finds a bike and begs him to fix it up and he turns it into a washing machine it's like, well, yeah, you can ride your bike as long as you're fucking working for the village.
2: <laughs> yeah, and doing doing the laundry too, given that you're a woman.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that. That like the gender normativity of it, that like his daughter is now uh, you know, she doesn't get to ride her bike and, and run free uh-huh. and independent, which, you know, doesn't really make yeah. sense. It's not like it's useful.
1: Yeah, if that was his son, he would have used it to uh, – the bike to lift weights. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so there were like uh, several scenes that I didn't uh, really understand what they were doing in the movie. But I want to ask a question about one to see if you all have a theory. What is going on when the kids have their – they call it acre, their like little village and there's a, they have a store and they're using nuts as currency – And River Phoenix is like, don't tell dad about this. He won't understand. It's the only thing. What is that?
1: Well, remember, he makes a big
2: point about how there's not going to be money, right? Like in exchange for anything, but like. So are the kids kids nostalgic for whom? No, I kind of,
1: I guess I saw it as them like realizing that they could as like mini capitalists, like exploit may be a, the wrong term even, but like. Oh, well, how are we going to get what we need without money? Because a kid, especially probably one raised by Allie Fox, like, sees, sees like, there's things that I want and I need allowance or some way to get that. So, in some ways, they've uh, invented a currency that benefits them. So, they're, like, playing shopkeeper. is Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: But, yeah, like, very... but, like,
1: in a way that, like, but, but the reason they don't want Dad to know about it is because... Uh, he said that it wasn't going to be money except that like he you know he doesn't need money because what he he's the dictator so <laughs> he of course doesn't need to pay people when he's just telling everyone what to do got it got it so I yeah guess- they i mean part of capitalism is a black market right because there's random restrictions on stuff so sure. they, his kids have invented a black market
2: <laughs> okay i guess i'll buy it yeah, it was just one of those scenes where there's a couple of them where I'm just like, I feel like Martha Plimpton's whole role, too, this like underwritten, quasi um, bathroom centered love interest is like unclear how it's functioning within the larger narrative. It just sort of trails off. You know what I mean? Like a lot, like like River Phoenix's narration, too. Um, I think it was Ebert who pointed out that, um, you know, it just seems like it doesn't, what he's saying doesn't match what we're watching. And that's how I felt a couple of times. I'm like, I, Alright. Mm-hmm.
1: Those do feel like book artifacts, because the book, um, I forget if we said this, but the book is uh, first person, uh, the son
0: telling the story of of watching his dad's like, downfall. Right, right. right. Yeah. But it feels like, uh, Peter Weir wanted to depict the, the world, um, he wanted to get caught up in the crazy craziness of all this, or Paul Schrader wanted to get caught up in the craziness Yeah. And it, it feels very weird that there's no movie, there's no, like, uh, denouement uh of after there's no epilogue really of uh after yeah. the what happens after he dies where it's like that seems like it's the most interesting thing like how does this family um strive on yeah without the and it feels like that's what the Martha Plimpton character is setting up is the world after yeah. Allie Fox which is like right uh, this kid is allowed to actually like uh, be a kid again he's not just like a vessel for his dad's um, libertarian psychopathy.
2: Yeah, I guess maybe yeah. that's that's what I'm getting at is uh, there's a sense of um, cross purposes or something within the script between these these different stories. There's a story of a family yeah. and there's a story of a uh, larger than life tragic figure and they're kind of butting up against each other in, a, in ways that sometimes come out very strange to me.
0: I, I'm I'm with you. There's there's definitely book artifacts in there that like feel like they're setting up something and they're setting up something and then and then uh just kind of
1: Or potentially if like you read the book you'd go, Oh, I get what you, you'd be able to build off what, what it's going for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, not a good way to do a movie, but yeah. Um it is interesting though, like Peter, I, I do want to mention like the Peter Weir connection. So like the last wave is so much about like colonizers
0: oh yeah this and about uh destructive power of rain but yeah
1: (laughs) true which one do you think was more attractive to him
0: (laughs) it feels like it feels like last like uh uh, it feels like the last wave is a movie that like speaks to a specifically like australian mode and with this um and, and you know as a white man in australia who has some like liberal tendencies trying to figure out how to navigate his life as a colonizer whereas this it's like he definitely you know there's interviews where he talks about his heart not totally being in it but it doesn't necessarily feel that way to be honest like it it feels like the script is is kind of a, a broken a, a beautiful but broken beast but um peter weir the only times I feel really distanced is like, sometimes it feels like his, um... his sense of, uh, he doesn't reel in Harrison Ford to be empathetic uh, really. Um, And, you know, obviously we talked, we spent the first big chunk of this, this episode talking about how like, you know, in a, in a different, uh, different headspace with Harrison Ford as a more pure kind of Hollywood guy. And in a different era when the sort of racism wouldn't be such a red flag, like, but, like, still, like, I feel like that the, he doesn't spend enough time reeling in Harrison Ford's per, uh, uh, performance um, to, to the point where you can empathize with him. Maybe that's sort of his disconnect, that he see, he's, like, seen such American, this American version of capitalism. He's like, oh, yeah, these people are just always go, 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 exc- screaming, <laughs> screaming banshees of, of growth and progress that, like, uh, he, he didn't, he couldn't picture it any other way. Or maybe his heart wasn't in it, you know, also like a more bu- mundane explanation. His heart wasn't in it enough to reel in his, his star that he had grown a lot of respect for and, and working with him and, and witness.
1: Yeah, they didn't work together again, which I mean, when you make as little movies as Peter Weir makes, that might not be a thing at all. But it is um, <laughs> it's it, it, it's interesting that they work together twice in such quick succession. And then,
2: you know, it's I mean, it's also like, a give little me Jim Carrey. <laughs> uh, I mean, Harrison Ford, uh, you know publicly said that uh, Peter Weir didn't really get it. So, you know, or there was something that he didn't get. And then kind of attributing the film's failure to its director. So that might have something to do with it. Yeah. Even though
0: Harrison Ford really still, like, defended this movie. And yeah,
2: very much. Yeah. Movie.
0: Even six he, years later, he was in interviews talking about how the press did him dirty. Um, in a very yeah. uh, in, a, in a very, uh, sort of unattractive way. Um, where you're like, buddy, movies get bad reviews. Let 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 history take over for this. You don't need to go after critics for not liking your movie. <laughs> As he writes down the
1: critics' uh, address so they can fly his plane right into their living room. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they have a summer cottage. And <laughs> With the way that our show sometimes goes, we're going to have to cut all this out because by the time we release it, he's going to have died in a plane crash. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: no. No, no. He's too busy being injured on the set of Indy 5 or whatever. Yeah, he's Um, too
2: hurt. He's too hurt to die.
0: Yeah, I don't have a place for this, but... Too hurt
1: to die is, like, someone name a James Bond (laughs) film that right now.
0: (laughs) I don't have a place for this other than, uh, you know, right here, um, which is uh, because I tangentially brought up Indiana Jones, but River Phoenix plays young Indy in Last Crusade. Yeah. And they apparently were kind of like buddies and he would check in, they would check in on each other. Um, yeah. the river Phoenix was like a very social guy and like got out and like, like so much of Hollywood has like, Oh, river Phoenix. He helped me. Um, there was this like lost, I had a lost dog or like, Oh, river Phoenix helped me with this and this. And it's just, it's just such a fucking, I mean, it's just something that's like obligatory. We have to say, like, it's just such a fucking tragedy for someone to die at 23 because of, addiction it's just yeah i self-esteem. actually yeah know. there was
1: a, there was a good letterbox review that said like who had, was seeing this for the first time and said like i could comment on river phoenix but like every moment of amazing acting also just feels hard to take in the the
2: well of like lost potential of losing a life that early 100 percent. i actually didn't know he was in this i didn't know very much about this movie going in my, my the first note i was like oh peter weir directed this oh river phoenix is in this Oh, Paul Schrader wrote this? Oh, wait. When does Matthew Modine lead <laughs> <know>. the cult? <laughs> I, waited. I waited and waited. And never came. But yeah, when The pedigree Phoenix, on this thing is massive. When he came on the screen, I was like, oh, man. That's an immediate bummer reaction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, he um, yeah, 23. No one should die at 23. That's a f- fucking nuts. Um, but yeah, that's it's, he played young Indy because apparently him and Harrison Ford got along. So, you know, maybe Peter Weir and him, yeah, they broke up, but... But yeah, and they uh,
1: got along so well that uh, Harrison Ford made sure he did not play him in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles because that show's not very good. <laughs>
0: he was like, you know, I like your career.
1: Huh? He's like, get the get the Boondock Saints guy. I know I'm, I'm seeing the future, but if you could get him, that would be ideal.
0: <laughs> uh, so I, I'm. Oh, he I'm said gonna... it like this. <laughs> you should get your own private Idaho. <laughs> get off my show. Get off my Idaho. He wants less Indiana and more Idaho. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there is a point
1: where he tells people to uh, get off my lawn, and he says it in the same cadence as get off my plane, and it made me very happy. It's like, <laughs> it's just, get off my
0: lawn. Oh, many you have. do you have for getting someone off of your Getting someone away from you. Because I feel like I have... Get the fuck out of here, man. Like, I feel like that's all I got.
1: It is the same cadence as I didn't kill my wife. (laughs) Uh,
0: I am very frantic. But there's, like, a period... Like, I think it's, like, after You must be Sabrina. I'm out. But there's there's a, a period after 1999 where I'd be grateful for his level of... That level of commitment to any movie... Like, he, he he got himself in a bit of a Bruce Willis uh, mode for a little bit where he was just like, I guess I'm in movies still, huh?
2: <laughs> you weren't he a really big fan of, a- answer
0: movie. me this, are these cowboys or aliens? <laughs> I can't fucking believe he got so shredded for Indiana Jones 4. Like, he looks so just muscular for such an old, old man. And then in the movie, he's just so bored and tired. He also rescued those like lost
1: hikers one time in like Colorado or Montana or something. And I bet even they were like, oh, oh my god, we're rescued. Oh my god, it's Harrison Ford. <laughs> oh, you're flying us out? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Maybe maybe call back. Do you have like a like a little radio in there? Can we call for a helicopter? <laughs> so
2: just Stallone lift? Lift. It's Sylvester Stallone. Airlift? Can Sylvester Stallone fly in? <laughs> Get on my plane. <laughs>
1: it's the one one people that saw the Mosquito Coast and we're like no thank you <laughs>
2: and,
0: no it's 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 uh they get on and they immediately ask him like a a, a question and it's like oh like oh I loved you as Han Solo would you ever play that again and he just fucking boots oh. him out of the plane
1: <laughs> no he doesn't boot him he crashes it yeah, he he's, just, like, he's, like, he's only gonna walk away with like a su- slight spray <laughs> he goes, how funny is it going. that they made a whole movie series about him getting in? plane crashes in the Indiana Jones movies, and then I think somehow he's like, am I immortal plane crash wise? I'm gonna try it out eight to nine times. He's like, times. I will fight God. He's, he's like, I always pack my raft in <laughs> case so I need to jump out of it at 2,000 feet to go through some rapids like in
0: Temple of Doom. Oh, it, you know, I don't need to fly a plane to know that I'm bad at it. So in that sense, I'm better than Harrison Ford.
1: Yeah, well, it's good that he didn't die because we wouldn't want him like resurrected as JFK Junior's running mate like other plane crash victims. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> Some of this may get cut out. Uh, yeah, this is, once again shows that we were serious for too long. <laughs> oh, is that John Denver? <laughs> John Denver is going to be secretary of the interior. (laughs) It's going to be Trump noted right winger, John Denver, (laughs) JFK Jr. and parallel universe Harrison Ford, who did die in the plane crash. Uh, this tells you, uh, how, uh, how much we had to say about this movie that we were that serious for as long as we were. And clearly we've, we've fallen off. So I think it's a good time for final thoughts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a quote that Ali Fox says, um, he says, uh, referring to his mother was dying in the hospital and uh, he got some criticism from his family for leaving her. He was just too painful. And he said, I loved her too much to watch her die. And he uses that as a sort of pitch for why they have to leave America. The, the this focus on america as this like dying failing nation uh is something that is like uh a, a basis that most um you know populists use as their their sort of yeah their, their basis that's where they start is that like this country's broken but i'm it used to be fix it yeah. um he's he's selling them populism and what the deal with this sort of uh populism is like Everyone that I'm not talking to right now, anybody that's not buying my sales pitch right now is lazy, <clears throat> lazy and dumb and violent. And I'm, I, you know, if you're listening to this right now, you're not one of them. It's, it's, it's promising this idea that like you, if you, this message is resonating with you, it's because you're a good person. And if this per- message isn't resonating with you, it's because you're a bad person and he's selling them this <clears throat> this libertarian paradise this like John's Gulch kind of Galt, John's Gulch um or Galt's Gulch whatever it's called um he's selling Galt. them this Galt's Gulch um blood gulch um for uh, you know where religion is is gone except for the religion of of him um, and no god because man can become god through good work um and it, all of that is like so it, it's so resonant to figures that you see um, now, where like the 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 point is that like uh, it's not just like sticking it to the libs, or uh, the point is not just you know cruelty is not just the point. It's that these people feel like because of the othering and the exclusivity of their weird um, right wing cults um, that they get to be better than they're they're elevated. Um, because the work that they do is so much better than the work a liberal does. and the, the life they're living is so much more noble than the life that because they have this fig, these figures, these, these dogmatic figures. It's why they can't find a new Trump. It's why these Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greens and whatever, they just keep flailing because like none of them have that sort of stupid, bullish, head down horns out style um, idiocy to them. And Ali Fox has that, that sort of, that sort of like, uh, genius, it is idiocy, um, where he doesn't know how to redirect because his life has been about charging forward. And when he gets success, he just keeps charging forward. And like, why, if you're, if you're winning, why would you stop and reassess? And if you're losing, it's yeah. everyone else's fault. And I feel like this is kind Absolutely. of a movie. Yeah. And like, I feel like this is a kind of movie that, um, it's it's fascinating. Two two pieces of Alley Fox I love that the fact that he's not fully full of shit. It's something the farmer says. He's like he's like uh is the worst kind of what does he say? He's the worst kind of asshole. <laughs> he's the worst worst kind of dude because he's like um you're wrong some of the time, and you you won't see it in front of your face. Like this farmer has this this really great quote I'm butchering right now. Um and, and that combined with the fact that like. I think we need more movies where like intelligence doesn't equal being ethical because I feel like that was sort of a a smell your own farts kind of neoliberal myth that has caused us to like lose elections over and over again, Um, which (laughs) is this idea that, well, they're dumb. So, you know, what can they do? And then it's like, well, they were smart enough to engineer grassroots movements behind the worst fucking president presidential candidate in memory. Um, they were smart enough to figure out how to continually sell this president over and over again. They were smart enough to figure out how to blah, 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 blah. Um, so the idea that like, if you're dumb, you're unethical, if you're smart, you're ethical, um, is, is, uh, just a really, a really simple, stupid mistake that I think a lot of like left-leaning people end up with. Yeah,
1: it's the philosopher king myth, right?
0: Yeah. And I, I just feel like that's, that we need more movies like this where like it is about a genius who has a genius, a genius who has just such fucked ethics that allowing them to run rampant lets you see the underlying toxicity, all the, all the worms and maggots writhing underneath his, mm-hmm. um, his, 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 his ethical center. Um, And that's what I really appreciate about this movie. And like, like Rick, like when the movie ended, I was like, Well, that guy was fucking exhausting to be around. And then like a day or two later, I was like, you know, actually, I'm finding a lot of resonance in this. Uh, There's a lot of like really elegant sort of metaphors going on, particularly in the the second act of this movie um, that remind me of the world around me. Um, And Allie Fox is sort of this like perfect little uh, libertarian uh, jackass. um, That is it was it was I wouldn't say it was fun to watch him downfall, but it was uh it, it, his downfall is something I was chewing on for a few days after.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> I don't. I mean, I don't have a ton to add to that. I think the for me, um, watching the film, it you're you're held hostage like his family and like everyone around him to this like sort of broken vision um, that he is uh, attached to and you're along for this ride. I, the film, my problems were always because it seemed like the film sometimes ran the risk of um, the, the critique that's embedded in all of that and implicit in all of that was sometimes undercut by the way that it represented, for instance, the Native folks and uh, the women. It seemed to be like <clears throat> acting out the things it was critiquing in some ways. But if you read that as it that's because we're locked in this vision um it becomes a lot more resonant i think as a critique of reagan era america and that's only become more relevant since like the ways you're talking about pete and i think uh yeah it's as a as a portrait is a huge like paul schraderian is that what should we do as a paul schrader vision of um you know a, a sort of uh semi-tragic downfall of someone's like uh uh blinded by their own misguided dreams or whatever uh it works on that level and it also works on an allegorical level um about colonial patriarchy and about um conservative a conservative libertarian notion of you know quote-unquote self-reliance and so forth i don't think it works that great as the narrative feature which it actually is um, and that's kind of a problem, but if you just put that to the side, uh, I've been thinking about it in the days since. So it obviously worked on some level for me.
1: Uh, I mean, it is a movie that that works for me. Although I am coming in from from a element of having like seen it at a time where Harrison Ford was like the big hero. I had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I hadn't seen Star Wars, but you know the Indiana Jones movie was enough to 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 see uh to see him in like a very different role and then kind of seeing my parents initially thinking it's like this very positive movie um like again that still, still that still it still sticks with me and then finding an excuse that is not ne- necessarily textual of why it turned not so not so chill at the end dudes if only he um, had taken that that blue jean bible <laughs> i know all he could he could invent ice new ice he just needed to you know, say that his brain came from God and then he would have been fine. But no, he couldn't say that. Um, but I do think like, and I don't mean this as like a, a an element of like um, uh, an empathy or sim- sympathy with his situation. But one thing that I really like it depicts is this idea of, if you're like trapped in these kind of narcissistic ideas that it really, you become a prison to them. And I think, you know, when, when they're on that beach, and everyone's talking about how good it will be to go back to America. And, like, he sees the country of America as his own personal antagonist, right? So that even though in that moment, like, it would have been so much better for him to embrace uh, going back. And he could have come up with some some new scheme or new ideas to how um, he was – like, this was all part of the plan. Because that's what he was great at, right? Like, his thing was always, I can do things that – uh, even if I'm, I'm served something I wasn't expected, I can make it so it's all part of my plan because I can never be wrong. But he said so many negative things about America. He was locked in that prison, prison of never being able to go back there specifically. And so he had to go down um, that same – path of destruction and again not to refer to modern times but it it does work so well as a parable of like the amount of people that before vaccines were out for example that were just so committed to uh i'm not going to listen to the cdc and i'm not going to get vaccines or or a million different versions of this like they get trapped in their own antagonists that they've created only in their mind like the cdc is out to get them doctors are out to get them and blah 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 so that even when they've reached a point where what would be safer and better than them and their own self-preservation or familial preservation or whatever else would be to do the thing. They've, uh, they've turned them into their own personal antagonists and are locked out of that as a decision. Like, cause the worst thing that they could ever do is to admit a mistake or learn something new or change direction to something that they've laid into it. And so, You know, it's funny that, like, Ali Fox is a good example of someone who – he was set upon a path of destruction once he made it so that he could never – he could never return to America because he wanted to hit it so hard about how right he was to leave it. And so, as such, like, once that became the only viable option, which a lot of times becomes the case of colonizers, right? Like, we – a lot of our history of books is filled with the colonizers who were successful. There were a lot of colonizers who were not successful for, for good. um, And then had to flee back to their, uh, to their home country to regroup and, and, and try a lot of times, unfortunately try again. But, um, you know, he locked himself out of that, that ability to kind of, to regroup at a place that was more hospitable for him. And at that point, he he has set himself at the at the path towards destruction which again how can you not look at the news any day of the week and not feel like that is extremely resonant to the way that so many people have uh, viewed uh, just general societal institutions as personally antagonistic towards them
0: yeah definitely um, but yeah, Aaron, thanks for, thanks for like, uh, I was gonna say, spo- I, I don't wanna use the word sponsoring, but thanks for uh, pushing this movie onto the list. Cause I was like, we had a bunch of, we had a bunch of, uh, wild style movies uh, for this month. A few of them we agreed on immediately like Grizzly Man and obviously the sponsored movie wild um, and wild and wild style and wild style. Everyone's yeah. favorite film. We also did. With the uh, tagline his style is wild.
1: We're we're not going to release it, but we did get really confused ourselves for a while and record an episode, uh, episode by episode of um, the first two seasons of MTV's Wild and Out, hosted by Nick Cannon. Um, misguided is the uh, best I can say. But yeah. much like Ali Fox, once we committed to doing it, we just kept recording. Smart enough to
2: smart it. enough to do it, not smart enough to uh to think twice about it.
1: <laughs> exactly it's a much better way to say the long-winded final thoughts i had um, right. but yeah I, I feel like that
0: well, it this, this has been a good month because like uh it's been a good month because i i we really did get to explore this idea of you know just dropping everything going trying to go back to nature and how fraught with uh ethical implications that is uh largely yeah. because of what you bring with you um because this is not your, this is not your, your native place. This is not something, a place that you understand. You're carrying preconceptions, many of them racist, uh, in with you to this, to this, uh, to this, this, you know, uh, quote unquote, untouched land, which actually has a lot of people living in it. Like, he bought a town that people were living in, uh, but he's still like, ah, it's a blank slate the new world I mean, there's people here but i mean that was even
1: right that was even the jeremiah johnson thing like he's going off in the in the untamed wilderness that had a whole society many different societies living in it and then he keeps you know getting surprised when he keeps running into other people that are doing
0: the
2: same thing as he
0: yes all right uh, and yeah what is our next uh, uh rick do you have anything to promote
2: um, not really. Uh, letiterobot dot com is where I a bunch of my writing is parked, and uh, might go back to it one day. Haven't yet, but it's still there.
0: It's still good. Oh, it's thanks. not like a. It's not like a. You know, Ellie Ellie Fox's asparagus rotten in the barn. <laughs> it's no, it's, it's still. I, good. I kept it on ice.
1: It <laughs> yeah, it's because Rick is Rick is just sitting at home like I'm gonna write the perfect review, one that changes everything. And we're just like Rick, we just want content. Oh my god, that's a little that's a little too close for
2: comfort, man. Eh? Uh, oh, Rick, sorry. what about a listicle? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll get you. A, I'll get you a listicle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Aaron. What uh, yeah, are
0: we next, doing month, next month. So next
1: month is our most sacred month. Um, we are the missionaries for next month which is spooktober
0: peter Um, yeah we're the the priests the high priests super high priests
2: the super high priests wow we're already we're already there that's amazing
1: yeah (laughs) yeah i mean we're not but the (laughs) listeners of our words yes yes and uh yeah we're doing um uh well, first of all, we're do- we are doing just like always se- now separate episodes where we're going to go through our uh, Spooktober list. We'll do a kickoff that's going to come out about the same week that you're listening to this, if it hasn't already, and then we'll do a couple recaps in the month um, of stuff that we've watched, where we try to watch at least 31 new to us horror movies, uh, joined again by a couple guests this year. Um, last year uh, we hit uh, I hit 102, and I think Peter, you hit 80.
2: Boy,
0: yeah. Geez. It w- I I I, I, so I think it was largely quarantine and the fact that I didn't have travel time. And yeah. I could just you know start something right as soon as work was over, like close my laptop walk over there. Um but yeah. the it, it stayed fun the whole time. Uh this year it I will be yeah. back in the office for part of that month. Uh so Me too. Yeah. There's a chance that my my role this year is something more like
1: 50 40 I mean, 50 would have been quite considerable in any other year. I do feel like if I hit 50, I will be impressed with uh myself same with you peter so it'll, it'll be a more down-to-earth uh year which will probably make for shorter episodes because we're not like all right well since the last time we talked we have 90 movies between the three of us <laughs> we, need to quickly, we need to quickly go through so we'll be doing those and we're also really excited to do um a, a version of a month that we've been kicking around forever because this is something that peter and i talk a lot during Spooktober. Is on like a area of horror that always gets us uh uh like like it's it's something that's like catnip to us and that is we are doing uh uh spooky cults for the first four
0: episodes which will be pretty sure I wrote it down but no, uh, oh yeah so we're wasn't saying we're, we're doing mid, midsummer midsummer kill list uh manos the hands of fate <laughs> yeah manos the hands of not fate not
1: as manos. a not as bad episode it's like a cult movie
0: uh, yes, um, um and we, I forget, did we, did we determined we're going to have, uh, uh we're going to keep the October one of the, uh, sorry, we're going to determine we make the Halloween one a surprise, and then, uh, hold on,
1: I'm looking, I, cause there was something that I really wanted to do that I'm like, oh shit, no, we need to do, yeah,
0: I'm Absolutely. seeing invitation,
1: in, yeah, that's ooh, it okay, it's coming. um, yeah, so we're doing, uh, we're doing, uh, spooky cults, and we are doing Midsummer the invitation, Manos, the Hands of Fate, and kill list and then we will as always have a uh, bloated spooktober special that we're gonna keep uh, as a surprise from now because it is july and we have not decided what it is if we're being, yeah, it's even you know, a surprise totally transparent to us. with our listeners yeah when we hear this back the last week of september we're gonna be like whoa what is it because we don't even know
0: we might know that. <laughs> i hope we know by the last week of september
1: no, I think it took us a long time last one of those years, yeah, I yeah. Think the year we did Society. Anyway, uh, I don't have anything else. Um, I guess I would say
0: to the two of you. I think this movie was thoroughly entertaining.
2: It was ice to talk to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody like you. If we ever get home,
1: I hope I don't get shot in the chest by a lunatic preacher and not get a chance to say goodbye like we're doing now. Yeah, wait, hold on.
0: At at the dinner with Andre, did they serve lead? At
1: the end of the day, I think we learned the Mosquito Coast is the coast with the most. (laughs)
2: so long goodbye i'll see you when i see you you can pick the street i'll meet you on the other side so long to finish Do returns always diminish? Did I say that right? Does anybody want to joke when no one's laughing in the background?
1: Mmm, <laughs> <laughs>